Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Alright, tonight we're back in our study of the Gospel of Mark, looking at the chief servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the record of his crucifixion. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 41. Now, I'm not going to read the whole section here just at the moment. We'll read it as we go. And what I'm going to do with this is give you a list of 12 events that demonstrate mockery. There's mockery on the cross. And then four events demonstrating the triumph of the cross. Now, there may be more than that. We're just looking at this passage in Mark. We're not catching all of the details from Matthew and Luke and John as well. So this is just from Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 21. I will read the first four verses, though, together, because that one gives us our first event. It's the mockery of the soldiers. Mark 15, verse 16, And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they call together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. Again, this whole story is filled with mockery. This first event was the abuse of Pilate soldiers. They misunderstood the claims of Christ. Uh, They probably didn't know much about him. My guess wouldn't have been followers of him. Uh, They would not have sat under his ministry, listened to him preach, heard probably about him. Jesus had explained to Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. Had it been of this world, he would have called the help. But it was a spiritual kingdom. Pilate, of course, didn't understand what he meant. So we can probably well assume that the soldiers did not understand anything about this spiritual kingdom either. They probably did hear about Jesus, that he was this carpenter from Nazareth who claimed to be the Messiah. The Roman soldiers would not have been Jewish, so they weren't familiar with the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. They perhaps heard about this Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. Now, Jesus stood before the soldiers as an insurrectionist, guilty of insurrection. That's what they thought. He wasn't, but a rabble rouser trying to, you know, get the crowds against the king, against the emperor, and claiming to be the king of the Jews. Now, this would have been a threat to their own rule. So now it becomes personal to the soldiers. If Jesus was a new king, 
and was going to overthrow the present king, what would happen to them and their jobs? So in their eyes, Jesus was standing there as a captive. He was already beaten, already bloody. He looked like anything but a king. So they're mocking him. A condemned man by Roman law, illegally, however, but just didn't look like a king at all. So the soldiers joined in to torture him or to make fun of him or have fun with him. They're ridiculing him. They're mocking him. They stripped him and took an old, faded, worn-out soldier's cloak, which was purple in color, purple being the color of royalty, and they threw that upon his bleeding body, because he had already been beaten, and this cloak was a mocking symbol of royalty. So we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit, but so I'm going to call the first event of mockery the mockery of deity. The mockery of deity. They did not believe in his deity. There are people today who mock the deity of Christ. How can Jesus be the divine Son of God? We sing it so familiar to us, Emmanuel, at Christmas time. But the world today doesn't believe that. They mock that. They think that's just a bunch of religion. Philippians chapter 2. What is going to happen with these mockery, these events of mockery, is God turns them around and he's either fulfilling prophecy or, how should I say, turning it into a blessing, a positive thing. The world fought it for evil. Joseph is going to say that to his brothers. You thought it for evil, but God meant it for good. Right? That's what happens in your life. We're trying to pattern our lives after the example of Christ the servant. And so here he is being mocked and made fun of, and the Lord is taking those things of mockery and fulfilling prophecy with them and or turning them into a blessing. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now in the context, I think it is a mind of lowliness. Verse 3 mentions lowliness of mind, humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You and I have the tendency to exalt ourselves. Christ humbled himself. Uh, the pattern of the example of Christ, humble yourself. Now, it doesn't mean you need to become humbled to the point where, you know, I'm just humbled and everybody's walking all over me. They did that with Jesus, but it's all fulfilling of a prophecy there. And so the first event of mockery, with the abuse of the soldiers, is the mocking his deity. Right on the heels of that, the second one, they're exchanging or re-changing his clothes. They took his clothes off and put this soldiery stuff on him and made fun of him and said that he was the king of the Jews. They put this reed in his hand as if, you know, okay, a king has to have some kind of a staff or a, a scepter and so... They evidently took a 
a grass reed and put it in his hand to mock him and to make fun of him. The second one is the rechanging of his clothes back into his clothes. And uh, this is a mockery of royalty. What uh, they're doing here, let's read the text. It's verse 20. Mark 15 and verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him, rechanging his clothes. There's two thoughts that I have here with royalty. Royalty is demonstrated with value and with authority. When someone is on a royal line, it's a valuable line and it is a line of authority. And we submit to that royalty. They're mocking this. They're not bowing to royalty. Their value of him and his clothes are, the clothes are more important to them than Jesus was. The cloak and what it stood for were valued and honored more than the life of Jesus, the very one who had come to reveal God's love and salvation. And what you and I do, we tend to value things more highly than Jesus. We need to value Jesus more highly than all else. We have the tendency to love the things in the world and to value them more than Christ. These soldiers had no value. They had no respect for Christ. And of course, he had no authority. They're mocking that and making fun of that. Notice also in verse 17, they put a plat of a crown of thorns on his head. So there's that mockery. They're mocking his royalty. Okay, you're some kind of a king. Let's put a crown on your head. So there's the mockery of deity. There's the mockery of royalty. And then the third one comes in verse 21. This is the event of Simon of Cyrene taking the cross of Christ. It's a subtle mockery of servitude. Jesus was indeed a servant. This is one of the reasons why they didn't understand who Christ was, how does a king become a servant? Verse 21 says, And they compelled one, Simon a Cyrenian. But the picture here is, Simon is a man who takes up his cross. Don't we have the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what we're supposed to do as a servant of the Lord, take up thy cross and follow me. And so that's the picture we have of this man. The ones, whoever it was, that are compelling this man to bear this cross, I think, are trying to do it as a form of mockery. Well, Jesus is too weak. This king of the kings is too weak to carry this. Let's get this man to do it. And so they compel him to carry that cross. And uh, yet Jesus taught us that the man who takes up his cross and dies to self becomes a true follower of Christ. So where is your idea of biblical servitude. We have a tendency to put servitude down. The servant is the highest level of a person, not the king at the top, the servant. Where would the king be without the servant? You can't exalt the king without realizing he has servants to make him who he is. Anyway, let's move on. The next event is verse 22. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. Again, I think this is a 
a bit of a, a mockery. It's coming to this place of death. Their concept of death is not a biblical concept of death. So, again, in another subtle way, taking him to this place called Golgotha was a mockery about death. You and I know what the Bible teaches about death. But to them, death was just, eh, you're gone. But we know that the soul is an eternal soul. We call it an immortal soul that is going to live somewhere forever, either heaven or hell. So death, biblically speaking, is not something to mock. It is something to fear, to be afraid of. The fifth event is the refusal of the drug. It is verse 23 in our text. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Another of the uh, Gospels uh, talks it mingled with gall. Anyway, this is some kind of a, a drug, the refusal to take this. It was a resolve on the part of the Lord to taste death to the bitterest end. The drink was some strong, possibly intoxicating, deadening the senses type of uh, drink, some kind of a narcotic that would somewhat ease the pain, the pain of crucifixion. So uh, they offered that to him, but he refused that. What I'm thinking of is the, the matter of reality. This is a mockery of reality. People take drugs to escape reality whether it's alcohol, even tobacco, and use that as an escape from reality. We can do other things as well to escape from reality. There's, again, a subtle mockery of reality. The next event is in verse number 24. It is the event of gambling for Jesus' clothes. I'm going to call this a mockery of the matter of compassion. Mark 15 and verse number 24. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. Gambling for his clothes. There's no mention here of what to do with his belongings in light of his mother who was standing there. No compassion, no concern for her. Nothing about sharing his belongings with the family. No compassion whatsoever. The soldiers, of course, wanting to make some money off of the death of Christ. So he's stripped of his clothes, but he is not important. And then let's go to verse 25. In verse 25, we see the crucifixion itself. It's already mentioned in verse number 24, when they had crucified him. Verse 25 says, and it was the third hour and they crucified him. So the crucifixion itself, I'm going to call that a mockery of depravity. A mockery of depravity. Why is Christ dying? These soldiers didn't know. What's the answer? Why Christ die? For our sin. All right, the depravity of sin. The rejection of Christ is really the height of that depravity or the depth, however you're looking at it, I guess. And God is demonstrating the height of his love by not sparing his son, but allowing him to die for man's sin. Number eight. The eighth event was the inscription on the cross. It's verse 26. 
Now we're moving rapidly through these. I don't know how fast these things took place. Verse 26, And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. Pilate here intended to mock the Jewish authorities and to reproach Jesus' claim that he was the Messiah, but God overruled in that. So what men thought a mockery of his humility, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. The king of kings, yes, the king of kings died. And then verses 27 and 28, the next event, the ninth event, is that of the two thieves being crucified with Jesus. Verse 27, and with him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Of course, the other gospels give us more details about these two men. There is here a mockery of equality. Was Jesus equal to the thieves? And yet, the prophecy comes from Isaiah 53, verse 12, which says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he was poured out, he hath poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So he counted right alongside of these two thieves, even though he wasn't a thief. And he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53 and verse 12. So it's a mockery of equality. No, Jesus was not a thief. See, they're mocking the equality, but God is fulfilling prophecy. You see that? They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Same thing happens in your life. Things happen in your life. And the world and the devil meant it for evil, but God means it for good. The tenth event, verses 29 through 32 The mockery of the people, it's a mockery of prophecy. Verses 29 through 32. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, railed on him I think means that they were saying things about him, and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. It's a mockery of the prophecies. There are many prophecies being fulfilled in this crucifixion. They don't understand the resurrection, that he would rise again the third day. They didn't understand that about the three-day temple building. They did not understand uh, that he was indeed the Messiah. The Old Testament word Mishiach, Hebrew, and the New Testament word Christ, or Christos, both mean anointed. So every time you see the word Christ, the title Christ, that's his Messiahship. They didn't understand that he was the anointed one, the one chosen of God. And so they misunderstood his claim. All right, then uh, verse 33-34, there's actually two events there. The 11th event was be the frightening darkness. Let's look at that, verse number 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now that's God doing that. The people aren't involved with that. So I'm going to put that together with verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, 
which is being interpreted, my God, my God, is very similar to uh, Hebrew. Hebrew would be Eli, Eli, why hast thou forsaken me? So we have God forsaking him. So there's darkness, and there is this terrible separation. I want to put those together. They're two different events, but to put those together to get my mockery point, what we're doing, what we're seeing God's principle of light versus darkness is a principle of separation, right? I mean, we see this right from the very beginning of creation. God said, let there be light. The whole world was full with darkness, and God said, let there be light. And then John 1 says that when the light shines, that the darkness comprehended it not. So light and darkness do not exist together. There's a separation between light and darkness. Today we have people want to amalgamate light and darkness. God says we need to be separate. And then when Jesus took upon himself the sin of the whole world, God forsook him. God turns his back on him. Why hast thou forsaken me? There's a separation between God and sin. Alright, so that's the point here. The world makes a mockery of separation. Unity at any cost. That's the world's cry. God says no. Separation. Different between light and darkness. Different between evil and righteousness. Now we have people wanting to move all that together. So there's a mockery of that separation. God, of course, is bringing the darkness. And he's the one making the separation. But the world makes uh, fun of that. Let me move on here. Let's go to... It would be event number 13, but it's going to be number 12 in my list because I put those other two together. Verses 35 and 36. 35 and 36. And some of them that stood by, when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. That's what they thought he meant. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. So let's call this, this is, the, this is the confused mob, and this is the mockery of the pity. Supposedly exhibiting some pity for him. Oh, he's calling for Elias. Let's see if Elias will come and help him. And so a mockery of the pity. Now, from this point, I'm going to give you four events of triumph. Lots of things happening on this cross or near the cross. Verse 37, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Now, we don't have it here in this text, but in the other text, it is the words, it is finished. That is a wonderful, unique piece of language in the Greek language. It is tetelestai. It is what happens in the Greek language. That it's, it's called a perfect tense. A perfect tense is an expression of something that is now finished, and that's what he's saying, it is complete, it is finished, but it is finished having already been done. Okay, It's finished in the past with present results. It is finished, according to the prophecies of God. And so what I'm going to call that is the triumph of completion. The triumph of completion. It is finished. It's written for us in John 19, to the 30, where he says that. It is finished. 
He completed the work. All of it is done. It is finished, and he gave up the ghost. He died. They didn't take his life. He gave up the ghost. Pretty clear, isn't it? Completion. And then the next event, verse 38, another triumphal event, the veil of the temple is rent in twain. And it was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. This is the triumph of access. We understand from the book of Hebrews. Let's see. What is that passage? It's uh, probably actually several places in the book of Hebrews. Several places. Hebrews 6, 9, and 10. Uh, We don't have time to go to all that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The triumph of access. We now gain access into the throne room of God. It's uh, there in Hebrews 4 as well. Let's see, now I'm saying Hebrews and I'm turning to Hebrews. Where am I going? Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometime were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So the veil is rent, the veil is the curtain between the holy place and the most holy. And so now we can come and into the holy place. So Hebrews explains that. We as New Testament believers don't have to go through a Old Testament priest or a Catholic priest or a Baptist priest. Amen. <laughs> but we can go right to God ourselves. We call that the priesthood of the believer. That's a Bible truth. And um, that is one of the triumphs of the cross. Triumph of completion, the triumph of access, And then verse 39, the triumph of conversion. Here we have the conversion and the uh, the confession, I'm assuming it's conversion with it, of the centurion. Verse 39, and when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. I think that's a confession of his faith. I think that man trusted Christ as Savior so he was converted. That's the triumph of conversion. See what the cross of Christ can do. It can convert the soul. You know, here the soldiers, the people, Pilate, the priests are all mocking the Lord. But this king of kings who was crucified can convert the soul. And then there's one more event and that's in verses 40 through 41. And there were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph, and Salomon, or Salomone, however you pronounce her name, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. So these women ministered to him. And many other women, which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Another triumph, the triumph of testimony. The women at the cross a proof that Jesus lived and served well. He wasn't some fly-by-night kook that claimed to be the Messiah. These women were at the cross despite the danger. They were off some distance away, but they were there nonetheless. They loved him, they cared for him. So this symbolized that the life of Christ was not in vain. So the triumph of testimony. So 12 or 13, have you counting them, 
events of mockery and four events of triumph. So this is the principle. God wants to take the mockery type things in your life where the devil wants to cause trouble and havoc. God wants to turn those around into triumph. And you could see, we pointed, tried to point out as we went through those rather rapidly, that each one of them was either a fulfillment of God's prophecy under God's control or God was turning it around because the, the world meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Same thing happens in your life. If you and I try to live as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and emulate His life and His pattern, there are things we'll have to go through where we'll be mocked. Jesus said, marvel not that the world hates you. It hated me before it hated you. And uh, God can, can turn that hatred around to triumph. So trust Him. Walk with Him. Go through the trouble and let Him bring you out on the other side. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. <laughs>